So let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us tonight. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, God, for uh, just your hand upon our lives, your protection upon our lives. We ask you, God, tonight that uh, we would be able to rest in you. And I pray that we would uh, be able to take some time tonight to find that rest and to find that peace and to find that joy that you have for us as we live in the palm of your hand. You said that you have a place for us in the palm of your hand that no one could snatch us out of. There's a place of security and there's a place of rest and there's a place of safety there. And I pray, Father, that as we begin to understand that, as we begin to take hold of that, and we begin to own that in our lives, that we would find that rest and we'd find that peace, we'd find that safety, and we'd find that security tonight. We give you thanks for your presence here. We ask God that we respond to your Holy Spirit. We ask that you be glorified for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 12. Feel free to use the Bible that's on the table. Jeremiah chapter 12. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S P E A K P I P E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study or maybe you have a comment or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Jeremiah chapter 12, and I need a volunteer to read verse 5. Alright, thanks for reading that. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I did a teaching on this verse, and those of you that were around for that and you remember it, I apologize because uh, I'm going to repeat some of the same things again. Uh, but I, I don't think that many of you, some of you at least, weren't around for that. And uh, there's some real truth in these verses, as far in this verse, as far as what I believe God has for us, where we're at right now, what's going on around us, 
and it really speaks to our attitude and how we are going to choose to see things. And that's up to you how you choose to see things, but this gives us a perspective that I think that we can take a hold of, we can learn from, and we can grow with. And so I want to present that to you uh, in those terms. What's happening here is Jeremiah is actually uh, taking some time here and God is in the process of rebuking, meaning confronting, meaning challenging, uh, Jeremiah's impatience and his self-pity. Uh, now, I don't know that Jeremiah was prone to those things, but we see that happening here. Uh, he's complaining to God about the persecution that's going on with him, and so he is apparently upset about it, uh, enough to complain about it to God. And so God is leading him down a path of really introspection, of looking at his own life and thinking about why does he have these attitudes, why is he looking at things this way, uh, what it is that God has for him, what God would have to say about it, what God has to say about the, the circumstance that he's finding himself in, all of those things. And, and so this is his dialogue with himself. This is his dialogue with God. This is God's dialogue with him, but it's God taking the present, the circumstance, what's going on around him, and he's using it as a way to teach him and a way to grow him and a way to challenge him. We're going to look at a couple of verses to just kind of set uh, some of this in perspective in a New Testament kind of way. Somebody look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. And I need someone else to look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4. Hebrews 12, 4. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Okay. So, I don't know if you can hear that in those verses, but God's speaking uh, through the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church, speaking to us, and he's saying, um, stop with the woe is me. Can you hear that in that? Because what he's saying is that, okay, you're finding yourself in temptation, or you're finding yourself in dire straits, or you're finding yourself in a challenging situation. Well, you have to keep in mind that when you find yourself in those kind of situations that God is still on the throne. And He's not allowing anything to happen to you that you are unable to deal with. In other words, there is no temptation, there is no issue that comes your way that is beyond what He has given you the power, the preparation, the anointing to deal with. And so instead of wallowing in some kind of self-pity, instead of looking at it and complaining about whatever the circumstance is, He's saying you have the power to withstand this. You have the authority to walk through this. And what he's trying to say, what I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to say to the Corinthian church, is you need to rise up through the circumstances that you're facing and come out of things stronger rather than wallowing in it and allowing it to bury you. That's what he's trying to say. And so that's a similar message to what God was saying to Jeremiah. A similar message that Jeremiah was worried and, and was concerned and complaining about 
the persecution that he was facing. Was he facing persecution? Yes. But what God is saying to him is that it's not greater than you. What he's saying to him, this is not something that you have to succumb to. This is not something that you have to roll over for. This is something that you can stand up against. This is something that you can walk through. This is something that you can wade through. And when you do, you will be stronger on the other side of it if you're willing to stand and if you're willing to move through it. If you're willing. The end result will be greater than if you give up. second verse that we had there is Hebrews 12.4. Anybody? Right. Remember the first time I, I read that verse uh, as a new Christian? I'd never heard that verse before. Never seen it before. And I remember reading it in the Bible and, and, and looking at that and I'm like, wow, that's right. That's right. I have not yet, and you got to qualify that with yet, in my struggle against sin in my resistance to the things of the devil, to my resistance to the things that are going on around me, I have not yet had to shed my blood. Alright. There's a perspective. Especially for us. You know, we kind of live in easy. We've been living easy. Alright, as I said yesterday, faith is easy when things are easy. It's easy to be a Christian when things are going great and it's good to be a Christian. You know, if everybody's a Christian around you, man, that's easy. If everybody accepts that, that's easy. Well, what if they don't? What happens if things shift in our circumstances? I don't know if you can hear the shifting, but what if things shift in our circumstances and all of a sudden it's not in vogue? What, what, what happens if things shift in our circumstances and we're standing by ourselves? So we have to keep in mind that we need a certain perspective if we're going to live the way God's called us to live, we have to have a certain perspective about it. And like I said, I read that verse for the first time. I'm a young Christian. And I read that and I'm like, yeah. And that shifted my perspective. I grew up, I, was, I participated in sports all the time. And it wasn't like back when you got a participation trophy for being, you know, just showing up to practice or something. This was like you actually played the game. And, and we're pretty serious. I grew up in the South. And if there's, there's something about, you got to understand the South, there's a couple things that are religious. One is Jesus, and two is football, all right? Those are two religions, and growing up, that was a fact. You started playing when you're five, six years old, and you played the rest of your life as long as you could. You went as far as you could. And there were kids, I mean, we were, we were talking about serious, I played, I was playing in Georgia, I can remember, I played at Code Georgia, where our peewee football was. And I've shared this with some of you before, but we had a Goodyear blimp that went over our peewee football games. What? Yeah. It was a real Goodyear blimp that would go over and it had the message on the side and everything. Peewee football. And we'd be playing. There was a massive, massive field of fields. And there'd be 20 games going on at the same time, all in the same age group. 20 games. All right? With, with kids. And, and it still wasn't enough. Because when you went out for a team, you had to make the team. That's pressure on a six-year-old, right? Yeah, good. Seven-year-old, eight-year-old, you had to make the team. 
So we had the blimp. We had the uniforms. We had everything. They were getting us ready, all right? And, and there was something about it. As, as we learned to, to live our lives, we learned to play, we learned to do things like that, is that we were going to do what needed to be done to get it done. All right? And whatever that attitude is, I don't know where it comes from, but it, it is probably somehow, you know, modeled for me or something about it. But that's an attitude that we have to have in the kingdom. So when I read that in the Bible, I'm like, I know this. I know this. And to understand that that is an expectation, understand that that is a perspective, to understand that that is something that I need to keep in mind when I'm facing opposition, when I'm facing whatever it is I'm going to face, help me to set things in order for my life. I was on a college campus when I became a Christian. Being a Christian was not in vogue on that campus at all, at all. In fact, there was great opposition. There was great opposition to us as, as students, as Christians, and the things that we were doing and the places that we were. Even, this is a long time ago, and you can kind of cipher out how long ago is based on my age, but it was a long time ago. But a full, I'd say a full third of our campus, because we were a, um, a kind of a theater arts music school. And so fully a third of our campus were, were at least anti-God. And I mean, I'm not talking about, oh, I'm indifferent about it. These people were actually campaigning against it. Uh, we can talk about the, 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 the kind of weird things that went on around that campus. And I could go into that for an extended period of time. But spiritists and mediums and all these other people that were consistently invited onto that campus to, to spew their lives. All right, that's okay, but not you guys. You know, we'll have those people, and there were some really weird people that had come. We'll have those people, but don't dare talk about Jesus. And there's no exaggeration to what I'm telling you. That, that's the way it was. And so, that, that's where I started. That, that's where all of us that came up through that started. And, and so, a base of people were built in that in, with this idea, we haven't resisted to the shedding of our blood yet. And from that, whatever you want to call that, that crucible, whatever that was, where it was hot and it was hard, there were, at the time I was there, I think in nine years, there were 30 people that were called in the full-time ministry from that campus ministry, and it wasn't that big. But there were a people that were called, a people that were anointed, and a people that were sent from that place out of that harshness to go and do the work of the kingdom. And so I counted a privilege to have been a part of that. I counted a privilege to have been a part of what God was doing there. But it was really hard. It was really hard. And it wasn't pleasant. And... It wasn't, you know, there wasn't people cheering us on and there wasn't people that understood what we were doing. We had opposition from every side. And, and I know I'm sounding dramatic, but it was true. We had opposition from the administration. We had opposition from the student leadership. We had opposition from the student government. We had opposition from some of the local churches even. And yet God was faithful. 
And so the prophet had to make answer for himself. What's his attitude? Well, he needed to answer that. Why is he whining about the persecution or complaining about the persecution? He needed to answer that. And there's a question that's asked here, and it's kind of, it sounds like a ridiculous question, but I want you to hear it. Alright, the question is, is how will you run with horses? Horses are really fast. They're really, really fast. And he's asking a question about how will you run with horses? And we'll get into why he says that, why he's asking that, but it's a, it's a great question. A number of years ago, I read a book uh, by a guy by the name of Scott Carrier. And if you ever get a chance to read it, I'd recommend it. It's called Running After Antelope. And uh, I think I read it almost at one sitting because it just fascinated me from the start. And the guy who wrote the book, Scott Carey, he's a, he's a good author. He, he, that's what he does for a living as a writer. But he's a loser. <laughs> no, I mean it. Like, you read his story, and he's very honest about being a loser. He grew up in a family out in Salt Lake City, and his older brother... Uh, was a year older than him, but his older brother always knew what he wanted to do. He was going to be a Ph.D., study animals. He had his life planned out. I mean, he knew what he was going to do. And then there was Scott, this guy Scott, and he didn't know what he was going to do. He tried to go to college because like, that's what he was supposed to do, but then he just left college because he couldn't stand it. And then he drifted for a while, and he got married at some point, and, you know, and then he'd get a job or he'd get some work. But then his, his wife would threaten to leave him because he'd lose the job or quit, and he'd just be drifting some more. And so she'd be like, "We got, we're gonna lose the house. We, we don't have anything here. You know, can you do something?" So he'd find another job. You know, a good example. He got a um, someone was interested in his writing, and so a publisher had offered him to pay him for his writing. And so his wife's like, "You gotta go to New York and get in advance on this, so we can pay our pay our mortgage." So this guy, because he didn't have any money, he just hitchhiked from Salt Lake City to New York City to get an advance on the book that he was going to write so that they could pay the mortgage on their house. But that's the kind of guy he was. He is. I don't know what he is now. But then, So he's very honest about his shortcomings. He's very honest about his, his kind of, yeah, he just doesn't... Uh, you know, he doesn't live according to the rules. But he also suffers because he doesn't live according to the rules too. But he had one thing. One life focus. One. You ready? Here's his life focus. He wanted to eventually be able to chase down an antelope to exhaustion <laughs> and kill it without weapons. Yeah, that was his lifelong goal. Because he had read about uh, tribes of uh, natives in Mexico that were able to do that. That they would take turns in relays and they would chase down antelope or other animals that move really fast. I mean, there's only like one animal faster than an antelope. And they would chase these antelopes down. It would take a long time for them to do it. I think the first uh, mention of this was in 1895. Somebody that was studying some of the native tribes in Mexico had witnessed this happen and had reported it back, written a report back to the Smithsonian on it. And so you think to yourself, okay, well, how do you do that? 
Well, the idea was is that these tribes, these natives, are some of the best, and 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 they were some of the the most endur- endurance runners, some of the best endurance runners in the world. And the idea behind it is they couldn't run as fast as an antelope, right? That makes sense to you. They can't run as fast as an antelope. So what they would do is they would just stay after that antelope at a steady pace. And so they would just keep running. And the antelope, every now and then, because antelopes aren't really endurance beasts, they would have to stop and breathe. And so they would stop and they would breathe, they would breathe, they would breathe, but while they were breathing and kind of catching their breath, where are the people? Slowly approaching. Okay? And so then, as the people approach, they kind of stare them for a second, then take off running again, as fast as they could. And the people would just keep after them, keep after them, keep after them. Then they'd wait for them, trying to catch their breath, they'd see them. And eventually, what would happen is, the antelopes would just drop dead from exhaustion. And then they would get the antelope, and they'd take it back, and that would be meat for their tribe and their families. The theory behind it is, is that human beings have two attributes that antelope don't have. Now, in other words, we can't run as fast. But because of the upright structure of our body, we breathe better. Our breathing is more efficient. And so not only is our breathing more efficient in our upright, because we're upright, we can also control our breath, which they can't do. So we have a distinct advantage when it comes to endurance over animals like that. So this guy had read about these the natives from Mexico, and he had an opportunity at one point in his life to host three of those guys for a local marathon. They came up, whatever tribe they were from, and they stayed with him in Salt Lake City, and then they ran a marathon. They came in first, second, and fourth in the marathon. And he asked them when he was there, he was like, have you ever chased down an antelope? And they're like, no. <laughs> No, <laughs> but they said they had heard of you know in the past how the that people had done that before. So, so it was something that they were able to confirm for him, and so that became his lifelong goal. It wasn't making money, all right. It wasn't being famous. It wasn't all the things that most of us would think of. That was it. That was it. That's all there was to it. And so you read something like this, and it says, "How will you run with horses?" I want you to I want you to think about that, not in terms of the impossibility of it, but I want you to think in terms of the possibility, because that, to me, helps this to make a lot more sense. Now. I can tell you that I was inspired by reading this book to change some of the things and some of the expectations that I had for myself. I was. And and as I read it, I began to think, it's like, well, how do I limit myself by what people say? Or how do I limit myself based on my past experience? Or how do I limit myself based on what I've told myself I can or I can't do? How am I limiting myself? Because he starts off and he says, if men wear you out, 
And that that's really the point. It's like if if men wear you out, then how are you ever going to run with horses? And so the perspective was is that if running with horses is a possibility, the first step in moving toward that possibility in our life is that we can't let people wear us out. Because if you get wearied in a foot race, how can you venture out like Elijah did? Remember Elijah? You know, in 1 Kings 18.46, where it talks about he, he ran ahead of the chariot of Ahab? How? I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. And we could never venture out like that. I mean, after all that had happened with Elijah, after he had slain the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, 400 of them, after God had answered him by fire on his sacrifice, after he had, he had called upon the drought to end, and, and God said to him, so, well, you better get moving. I hear, you know, that's hear the sound of an of a abundance of rain. And so that's when he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot and he ran back before he even got there. All those things are impossible to the average person. I mean, you know, it's like in, in our own mind, our own limitations, our own way we do things. How do you call down fire from heaven? I don't know. But he did it. How do you do that? How do you, how do you call upon a drought to end? Well, he's the one that initiated the drought. How do you do that? I don't know, but he did it. How do you run faster than horses? I don't know, but he did it. The possibility is there if we don't limit ourselves. And so Jeremiah, as God was really leading him toward this introspection, Jeremiah, God's saying to him, he's like, well, if you are having trouble keeping up with in a foot race, how are you ever, ever going to run with horses. If you're allowing the foot race to define you, then how are you ever going to run with horses? Now think about this in terms of difficulties. Small difficulties come our way every day. It just does. They just do, I mean. And and you look at that and it's like, it's like we, we make things up based on small difficulties that come our way. What do I mean by that? I mean, well, we have a humdrum of life. We do. It's the humdrum of life, and, and, and everything goes okay for a while, but then something's going to happen. It just does. And we pretend, we pretend that it's not going to happen. Alright, we get in the humdrum of life, and in, in all of that, it soothes us to pretend that it will always be the same. That tomorrow will be like today, Every day, that's a fool's paradise. That is a fool's paradise. Because that is not the truth. And just because it soothes you, doesn't mean it's true. Just because it makes you feel better to think that way, doesn't mean it's the case. And what happens is, is that reality, truth, smacks us every now and then. What do I mean by that? Well, we're in the humdrum of life, and all of a sudden, boom, something comes up. What is it? Could be anything. Probably not that big a deal. Unless you make it a big deal. But those smaller difficulties that are bound to come our way, guaranteed, guaranteed, wisdom says 
days will not always be easy. Wisdom says that. So we choose, we're not going to live in the fool's paradise. All right. Well, we get smacked in the face with, all right, what happened? I don't know, but it's probably a smaller difficulty, but that smaller difficulty somehow translates into drama. And drama, drama, drama leads us to complaining. Drama leads us to feeling sorry for ourselves. Drama leads to all the things that God is rebuking Jeremiah for right now. There's no need for the drama. I was telling somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was. I've told most people this before. Every time I go to Florida, during the summer, just going to give you a little hint here. During the summer, it's really hot and humid, and it rains every day. It's the rainy season. Yeah. And so every day, if I'm around people that live in Florida, old people, mainly, because that's who lives in the neighborhood where the house is. They will say to one another, they'll ask me, hey, do you think it's going to rain today? (laughs) Yeah, I do, actually. It rains every day. (laughs) Every day. A better question is, do you think it might not rain today? And you can say, well, maybe. Who knows? Or a better question is, what time do you think it's going to rain today? And I take 4 o'clock as an over-under. But, see, that's the better question. So, so it's kind of that ridiculousness of, is it going to rain today? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to rain today. And what time do you think? Okay, that I can get behind. Life, if difficulty is going to come, yeah, they're going to come. They're going to. It happens. It just happens. And we have to wake ourselves and awaken ourselves out of that fool's paradise that soothes us. We have to get out of that somehow. We have to break out of that soothing place that tomorrow's going to be like today forever. And it's not going to be. It's impossible. And, and remember that wisdom says days will not always be easy. It's not. And so if we can't handle all of the small difficulties, if we're going to complain and we're going to live in drama about the little things that are going to bound to come up every day or some days or most days or a few days or however it is that happens in your life, but if we're going to make drama out of every opposition, we're going to make drama out of every little thing that comes up, how are we ever going to run with horses? How are we ever going to go to anything greater in our lives? How are we ever going to see anything better in our life or in the life of the people around us? How? How? And that's really the question here. That's what God was telling Jeremiah. He's like, he's, he's encouraging Jeremiah to look inside and to say, is this all you got? Is this it? You're going to face these difficulties? You're going to face these circumstances? And this is what's going to define you? This is the drama. This is the complaining. This is the thing that has you stopped in your tracks. This is it. If this stops you in your tracks, how will you ever go on to something greater than this? Something better. How will you ever, ever be able to venture out as Elijah did? How? 
You won't. You won't. You'll live in this this small fool's paradise, upset whenever your fool's paradise gets tossed around a little bit, gets shaken up a little bit. Because that's, that's the end of it. Oh, I didn't expect that. Why not? It rains every day. Oh, I got caught unawares. I didn't know. No, you did. You just want to believe it's not going to rain. You just want to believe that it's not going to be like it was yesterday or it's going to be like it was yesterday or whatever it is. However you're going to soothe yourself, that's what you want to believe. But it doesn't make it true. And so when you think about running with horses, you got to think in, in terms of this, that we're in the dark about tomorrow. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I'd rather be in the dark. I'd rather be in the unknown. If you're following along so far, I'd rather be in the unknown than fool myself it's just going to be the same. I'd rather live in the dark. I'd rather live in the unknown because what that, that leads us into is a, a trust because the unknown is the truth. That's the truth. We don't know. I mean, Paul talked about that and others talked about that in the New Testament where they talk about, it's like, well, you know, you really were not promised anything tomorrow. Writers in the New Testament say, you know, even like you look at the um, at John and James and you look at them that talk about the next day and it's like, well, don't tell somebody you'll definitely be there. Just say if the Lord wills because you don't know. It's unknown. And so living in the unknown is living in the truth. Living in the truth requires eyes wide open. That's what it requires. Eyes wide open to a reality. It requires us to uh, be ready, to have a preparation and a greater expectation, a greater faith. The good news is, is that the power of Jesus strengthens us spiritually. We have a strengthening in Him. Uh, the Bible says we'll run and not be weary, we'll walk and not faint. That's Isaiah forty thirty one. You know, you, you, the, this passage talks about the Jordan River and, and the flooding of the Jordan River and, and all of that. And yet, when the children of Israel in the book of Joshua, they went to enter into the promised land, the, the, the Jordan River was at flood stage. And so, the Bible tells us that those that were bearing the Ark of the Covenant, when they put their feet into the water, they just got their feet wet, that the waters of the Jordan rolled back and found themselves way upstream and they walked across on dry ground. How do you see that? How do you see that? By complaining that it's cold? By complaining that you forgot your galoshes? By complaining that your boots aren't high enough? By what? You don't like it when your feet get wet? You're going to catch your death of cold? I mean, what is it? Well, you know what stops it? It's that whole idea... You got some small difficulties. You're going to plow through or you're not. You're going to plow through, what you're going to see is some greater things. Okay, set, set your feet into that Jordan River and see what happens. Let's get moving. Let's get moving. Let, let's, let's run and not be weary. Let's walk and not faint according to what the Scriptures say. Let's with our feet step into the waters of the Jordan. Let's see what happens. 
Because we will never, ever venture out as Elijah did unless we're willing to get our feet wet and learn to step into that river. Can't. You can't. You just look out and say, oh, yeah, I can't do that. And give up. Proverbs talks about that. It's like the sluggard you know, looks out the window and says, oh, I guess I won't go out today. There's a lion roaming the street. Is there really a lion roaming the street? I don't know. But that was enough to keep him inside. I doubt it. Sounds like an excuse to me. That's what sluggards do. And all of us have a spirit to fight in us like that. That we look for the excuse. We look for the reason not to. We look for a way out of the hard thing. We look like, we oh, I don't want to face that. So we make something up and we go do something else. We all have that in us and we have to fight that. But is it worth the fight? I think it is. I really think it's worth the fight. The last part of this verse, he talks about, he says, in a, in a land of peace, you are secure. Well, yeah, right? So it's easy to be peaceful in a land of peace with no danger. That's easy. I mean, we've gotten to the point now in our society, we make things up to be anxious about. We get anxious about nothing. We get anxious, we, we, we get anxious about phantom things that don't really even exist. We get anxious about things that might happen. We get anxious about things that there's a small probability of it happening. If you were to tell me that we would be anxious over something that has a point, point, point five percent chance of happening, and that we would alter our lives for that, you tell me that ten years ago, I'd tell you you're out of your mind. And yet that's what people do. We get anxious for nothing. And so even in a land of peace, we find a way to be anxious. When the fact of the matter is, it's easy to be peaceful in a land of peace with no danger. Because if we can't find peace in a land of peace, then what are we going to do when the river swells, when pride around us swells, when the dangerous forests by the Jordan are filled with lions, and that's where we have to go. Then what are we going to do? If we can't find peace in a land of peace, what are we going to do in extreme danger? And that's what he's asking. That's what he's asking us. That's what he was asking Jeremiah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when something real happens? What are you going to do when something that matters happens? What are you going to do when you face some real hardship? What are you going to do when you face a real challenge? What are you going to do? We train ourselves in the land of peace to be ready for the land of danger. But that's on you. That's on you. I can't train for you. You have to train your heart. You have to train your mind. You have to train your spirit. Oh, but discipline's hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. You know what's harder? Getting run over by your circumstances. That's even harder. That's even more devastating. 
in maintaining a certain amount of discipline over what we think, a certain amount of discipline over our emotions, a certain amount of discipline over our lives. As hard as that is, it's easier than getting steamrolled, steamrolled by our circumstances. If you think about it, we have long stretches of uneventful days, right? Doesn't that how life works? You get a long stretch, you got some uneventful days, and then without warning, a crisis springs up. A great calamity, a hard duty, something happens. You know, I think I always think of something like when I read this I thought of immediately when someone dies suddenly that we're having you know a whole string of uneventful days and then someone dies kind of suddenly unexpected what's the first question you ask when that happens why right but why is that really a question that you're asking because it interrupted your string of uneventful days didn't it and why now? I was having such a good string of uneventful days and they had to go up and die on me to ruin my string of uneventful days. Well, people die, don't they? And we don't get to choose that. We don't get to pick that. Right? I mean, and it just happens. And so when that happens, it's like, you know, I want you to recognize that as Oh, they're interrupting your sleepy time. They're interrupting your your happy time of uneventful days, your boring happy time. And and that's not what God that's not how God's called us to live. He didn't call Jeremiah to live that way. Jeremiah he called as a prophet from a very young age. He gave him the word, his word in him, and he began to prophesy that word. And he had Jeremiah do some weird stuff. Weird stuff. You know, like walking around in his underwear and stuff like that. It's a weird stuff. But Jeremiah was obedient in general to those things. And understanding that, that he went through ebbs and, and flows of, of being obedient like that. And here was one of those circumstances where God was having him think about, well, why are you so upset about this problem, this circumstance, this situation? This persecution, whatever was going on in his life, he's like, why are you so upset about this? He wanted him to answer that question. And the reason was, is that he had grown weary, weary with the little things. He allowed them to wear him out. Instead of looking forward, instead of stealing himself, of, of strengthening himself, or allowing Jesus to strengthen him, making him ready for the day of calamity. Little things need to be seen for what they are. Everyday things need to be seen for what they are. Things that that, that upset our little uh, boring tea cart, all right, that we don't like, need to be seen for what they are. Not that big a deal. Because big deals come up every now and then. And I believe it behooves us to be ready for those to be living in a greater expectation of faith for that. What I say about 
this speaks to? It speaks to the idea of endurance. That's what it speaks to. We're not in a short race. We're not in a sprint. That's not what God called us to. We're in a long race. And we're in this for the long haul. And so things need to be seen in that kind of a perspective. That what may seem like the biggest deal today, you may not remember in a month. And always keep that in mind. Always keep in mind that whatever seems to be going on that seems so awful right now, in a year, you might not even know it happened. Or you can't even remember. Or you may laugh about it. Or you may tell jokes about it in a year. You don't know. I don't know. But we're in this for a long, long haul. And we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep that in perspective. If we're going to chase down, if we're going to run with animals that seem like they're so fast or seem like they, they can get so much further faster than we can, we have to remember that's not who we are. We're going to just keep going. Well, what if they stop? We're just going to keep going. And and they're going to have to stop. They're going to have to breathe. What are we going to do? We're just going to keep going. Well, what happens when, you know, they keep stopping? Well, we're going to gain on them. Well, what if they run again? We'll keep going. And then at some point, we're going to catch them. Because that's how it works. That's how it works. You have the ability to control your breathing. And just hear that metaphorically. You have the ability to make a decision about whether or not you're going to panic. You have a decision to make uh, make a decision about whether you're going to run and how fast you're going to run or whether you're going to stay. You have the ability to make the decisions necessary to actually live victoriously in your life. You do. I do. And that sets us apart from anybody, anybody, any animal or anything that's outside of God and His purposes. We are set apart by those things. So let's take advantage of that. Let's take advantage of that. When I was younger, I was fast. I mean, literally, like physically, I was fast. I'm not fast anymore. But I can run a lot further than I could when I was younger. And so, again, take that in a spiritual sense. We need to be willing, able, ready, trained to go the distance. And to have an expectation and a faith that that's the case. So what's tomorrow? I don't know, but I trust Jesus. And I'm going to enter it with faith. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Right, but I know He's got it. Because I'm not going to face anything that's beyond what I can handle. He told me that already. He already told me that. So, because I know that, because I believe that, I'm going to face tomorrow with some confidence and some boldness. 
instead of fearing it. There's something about being able to embrace the unknown as the truth and the reality that sets us free. And I really believe God wants us free. So I'll take a few moments. I want to pray for you. And as I'm praying for you, I just want to encourage you to receive best you can. If you heard me tonight, it's it's kind of, again, if you've heard this before, this teaching, maybe it's a good reminder or at least a portion of it. It's a different teaching, but I use the same book so and same verse. But if you've heard it before, maybe it's a good reminder. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us with our perspective. And God, I pray that we would not be a people who just embrace the humdrum just out of comfort, to embrace the humdrum out of what soothes us, to believe just that, that fool's paradise that's simply not true. For God, I pray that you would deliver us from drama. I pray that you would deliver us from smaller difficulties and allowing those smaller difficulties to consume our lives. I pray that you would deliver us from those things and treat those smaller things and see those smaller things and live through those smaller things and conquer those smaller things for just what they are, small things. I pray we can live in the truth of that. We can live in the truth of the small things that, that really, they don't need to consume our time. They don't need to consume all our effort. They don't need to consume all that we are. They're just small things. And I pray that you'll give us a perspective that's so much bigger than that that we barely need to take notice of those things as we wade right through them. For God, I pray a work of preparation in us, a work of preparation over our lives. And I ask you, God, that that work of preparation would have us ready as we move forward into the reality, the truth of the unknown that's tomorrow. We don't know. We don't know what may happen. We don't know what's coming our way. We don't know. It's okay that we can embrace that. Because we can embrace the truth that, that we're not going to face anything that we, that's going to overcome us. We're not going to face anything that's going to be too big for us. But everything, according to Your Word, is measured as it comes our way. Measured by You to fit us. And so, God, I thank You for that. And I thank You for those opportunities of growth. I thank You for those opportunities of becoming more. Thanks. God, I pray that You would open our hearts and our minds. Open our minds, God. And I pray that you begin to extend the possible beyond where it's been. You begin to extend the possible into areas that we had concluded earlier in our lives were impossible. I pray that you would begin to extend it out what is actually possible. 
I pray our possibilities become bigger and more numerous. I pray our possibilities become larger. I pray, God, our possibilities begin to fill our minds and our hearts more and more and more. That our possibilities aren't maybe the possibilities of the people around us. That's okay. Our possibilities aren't maybe the possibilities of what culture says is possible or what people say is possible or even what science says is possible. But I pray, God, that we would have just a large and great and mighty possibility extended far and wide in our lives. Because, God, I pray that we'd be a people that would venture out as Elijah did. A people that would venture out as those that were bearing the Ark of the Covenant did into the River Jordan. That would venture out into what You have for us. Into the life that You have for us to live. Into greater possibilities, greater places, wider places, bigger places, God. I just pray Your encouragement upon us. I pray You'd encourage each one of us tonight. I pray we'd receive that encouragement. Yeah. I pray, God, that You would fill our sails with the wind of Your Spirit. As He sings in Jesus' name, let's agree by saying Amen. Amen. All right, amen. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. Uh, if you need the name of that book, I can get it to you. If you didn't get it, if you'd like to look at it. But God bless you, and we'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Well, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University... UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You're home, yeah.